This podcast is sponsored by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. GoMoto now has three new kiosks that allow customers to check in online and in-store, drop off and pick up keys, and interact in both English and Spanish. Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Tuesday, September 20th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Ford expects higher costs to mean lower earnings this quarter. GM backs tough emissions targets. And Tesla's upcoming Optimus robot faces plenty of skeptics. Plus, a conversation with Bloomberg News Detroit Bureau Chief David Welch about his new book, Charging Ahead, GM, Mary Barra, and the reinvention of an American icon. And along the way, she has the longest strike in 50 years and becomes a two-year target of Donald Trump's Twitter bully pulpit. That's pretty good drama. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Ford expects to end the third quarter with adjusted earnings between $1.4 and $1.7 billion before interest and taxes. That's down from the $3 billion in adjusted earnings from a year earlier. The automaker blames inflationary pressures throughout the supply chain. Ford reaffirmed its full-year guidance of $11.5 to $12.5 billion in adjusted earnings before interest and taxes. That would be 15 to 25% more than it earned last year. General Motors is backing tougher federal emission standards to help ensure at least half of new vehicles sold by 2030 are zero emission models. The largest U.S. automaker and the Environmental Defense Fund released a series of joint recommendations to boost EVs. That's as the EPA develops proposed requirements from the 2027 model year through at least 2030. GM CEO Mary Barra said that GM has the ultimate goal of eliminating tailpipe emissions from new light-duty vehicles by 2035, adding that the recommendations, quote, support accelerated adoption of electric vehicles to put us on the path toward that goal. Dodge Charger and Challenger production at Ontario's Brampton Assembly Plant is scheduled to end in 2024, but according to forecasting firm Auto Forecast Solutions, both muscle car programs will stay in the province, while an electrified product from Jeep will take over their floor space at the Brampton plant. Auto Forecast Vice President of Global Vehicle Forecasting, Sam Fiorani, says the next Chargers and Challengers will be built at Stellantis Assembly Plant in Windsor, Ontario. Stellantis confirmed in May that Charger, Challenger, and Chrysler 300 production would end in Brampton in 2024, while the plant pauses for retooling. Tesla is floating ambitious plans to deploy thousands of humanoid robots known as TeslaBot or Optimus within its factories. CEO Elon Musk says the EV maker will unveil its prototype at its AI day on September 30th. A person familiar with the matter says Buzz is building inside the company as Tesla has more internal meetings about robots. Musk says the robot business might eventually be worth more than Tesla's car revenue. He's now touting a vision for the company that goes well beyond making self-driving EVs. Investors and analysts are skeptical. They question whether the automaker can show technological advances that would justify the expense of general-purpose robots in factories, homes, and elsewhere. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, you were busy last night presenting at the Automotive News Pace Awards. 
It's an honor to introduce this event that recognizes the innovative achievements of automotive suppliers from around the world. First of all, nice tux. Second, tell us a bit about those awards and this year's winners. Yeah, you know, it's a great awards program. We have excellent judges who are really veterans in the industry. And it's just a great opportunity to really highlight the innovation in the industry and to recognize that so much of it comes from suppliers, sometimes in partnership with their automakers, but you know, it, it really comes so much from the suppliers. And that's something that I think the general public doesn't always appreciate. And even folks in the industry don't always appreciate. Of course, all the finalists and the winners, you know, were fantastic, really cool technology. Um, but I do have to give a special shout out to Yazaki North America. They were the first supplier to win two solo awards since 2019. You can find a list of this year's winners and more about this year's Pace Awards at autonews.com. There's a new book out today about Mary Barr's GM and the automaker's ambitious goals for reinventing the American car company. Author David Welch joins us next on Daily Drive. Picture your service drive on a busy morning. There's a line of customers waiting to drop off their keys and check in at the counter. Every advisor is busy with simple tasks. Two are typing customer concerns into the computer to get a repair order created. Two are trying to find an appointment the customer swears they created online. And another is looking for a customer's keys who didn't come in to pick up their vehicle the night before. It's a chaotic and unproductive scene, and you know you're probably losing money by not offering standard upsells with every write-up and frustrating customers with long wait times. Now imagine that same morning, but with customers checking in themselves in about two minutes. Your advisors are still busy, but they are busy selling. There are no more lines, no more wasted time, and no more frustration. GoMoto kiosks free up your advisors to focus on high-impact, customer-facing, profit-oriented work that improves and speeds up the process. And with three new kiosks, online check-in, and Spanish-language support, you can now serve more customers in more ways with a process that fits their needs. Visit GoMoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com to explore all the ways kiosks can increase profit, efficiency, and overall operations in your service drive. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Mary Barra became the first woman to lead a global automaker and immediately became embroiled in a massive recall that showed the systemic failures of GM's culture. She vowed to set the company on a new course of openness and pragmatism, as well as the optimistic idealism for aiming to double revenues and increase profit margins while eliminating carbon emissions, congestion, and crashes. Her most ambitious efforts are on the brink of fruition with her legacy and perhaps the future of the auto industry at stake. My former colleague at Bloomberg News, David Welch, has a new book out today about Barra's efforts to take on the industry's biggest challenges and the career that led her to this precipice. It's called Charging Ahead, GM, Mary Barra, and the Reinvention of an American Icon. Here's our conversation. David Welch, welcome to Daily Drive. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Good to be here. I have to ask, just off the top, why is now the time to write this book? When Mary Barra's you know, biggest test, this transformation of the company, is kind of really just getting started. Well, the way I see the transformation of GM... I look at this as something that started really, it's 2022 now, six or seven years ago, okay? 
when they started closing down overseas operations, selling Opal, getting out of Russia, uh, closing down Holden. Uh, remember, Alfred Sloan bought Opal in 1929, bought Holden in 32 or 33. General Motors used to be the biggest company in the world, was for most of its history, and they did business in a hundred countries around the globe. Sun never set on the General Motors empire. <laughs> She's made this a much smaller company now to focus her money and her resources on electric vehicles, self-driving vehicles. And she wants to find growth for GM in new technology, not markets around the globe. That is a massive strategic change for this company that's happened right before our eyes over the past six or seven years. And because it's happened kind of market at a time, you know, Southeast Asia here, Russia there, India there, South Africa there, and then Opal and Holden. People know it's happened, but it, it hasn't really kind of maybe sunk into everybody that, you know, this once massive company is now a lot smaller, but, you know, they're, they're making this big push into technology. And right now, the technology is coming to market. And if you look at what, what's happening today, you get the first two Ultium vehicles are in production. That's the Cadillac Lyric and the Hummer EV. They're slowly ramping up. The numbers aren't big at the moment. But you know, if I look at first half production of the F-150 Lightning, I think it was, or sales rather in the U.S., was under 3,000 units. So few of these kind of mainstream, big name brand type vehicles are, are really selling much other than Tesla's. So... You know, that part is getting underway, but you also have, you have cruises now expanding into two more markets with robo-taxi service. Could the book have, you know, maybe been a bit better a year from now to see if some of these vehicles are selling? Uh, how is the Silverado EV doing? Yeah, possibly, but I'll tell you this, having worked with you, Jamie, over the years in our days at Bloomberg, every time, and I mean every single time, I waited on a feature story idea, a scoop <laughs> I was chasing, Every time I got scooped or I got burned or I just, you know, we, somebody else thought of it and, and beat us to the punch. And we sat there saying, why did I do it? So, um, well, you, you know, make the really good point. There was the cultural, a, a big change in mindset when Mary and Dan Ammon started getting out of all the loser markets where GM never made money. And then now they're really entering this new phase. Yeah, we could wait 10 years to see if they get to 50% EVs or if Cadillac, how Cadillac does as an all EV brand, but you're setting the table and helping everyone kind of see what this company is doing now. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, exactly. And my 60 second elevator pitch on this thing, which I think sold the book to HarperCollins was, woman comes from out of nowhere to take over General Motors as the first female CEO. Instantly plunged into an ignition switch crisis and looks up and sees that her Many of her global operations are losing money all over the place. She has to fix all of that stuff to even be able to afford to get into the electric vehicle and autonomous vehicle races uh, against these new Silicon Valley competitors and against her own traditional competitors, Ford, Volkswagen, etc. And along the way, she has the longest strike in 50 years and becomes a two-year target of Donald Trump's Twitter bully pulpit. That's pretty good drama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right there. And she's, you know, look, by many measures, she's done a very good job with this. Record profits during that time. You know, some of the other competitors, namely Ford and VW, kind of stole them. And the Koreans stole a march on them with part of the EV market. But I, I think they do have a very credible plan with Altium. And, you know, and I think they're one of a very small number of survivors in the autonomous vehicle game for whatever that's going to, be, uh, to become. You wrote a section about what's at stake, about an analyst meeting where, you know, she talked about the the risks and the 
the massive transformation that the industry is facing and the GM is facing. Uh, could you read that uh, excerpt for us? Yeah, sure. For Barra, it was about survival. GM would either be disrupted by the likes of Tesla and Google or could get in the game and even try to retake the lead and do the disrupting. Her quote, once you start to believe in the science of global warming and look at the regulatory environment around the world, it becomes pretty clear that to win in the future, you've got to win with electric and driverless vehicles. This is what we really believe is the future of transportation, she told me in the weeks after the cuts were finished. She added that GM was finally going to start to grow again, reversing decades of decline. Barr's analysis was right. The world was changing. While GM was finding its feet after bankruptcy and wrangling with a big recall, it had fallen behind. Tesla was the leader in electric vehicle technology and was building a very powerful brand uh, behind the cult admiration for Musk. Germany's Volkswagen AG was beginning to emerge as a fast follower with battery-powered cars. Google was years ahead in self-driving car software. Apple had a mysterious skunkworks team called Project Titan that was rumored to uh, be a foray into the car business. The last thing Barr needed was to blow money on internal combustion vehicles with poor margins and an ancient global empire that lost money. She gave plants and models in the U.S. the same stringent test. She saw a threat to car ownership as we know it. Uber and Lyft were showing people a different way to get around. If even 10% of people gave up on car ownership in favor of on-demand rides from Uber, Lyft, and Google's Waymo, car makers would face a profit squeeze. At a private presentation to a Wall Street analyst, she asked how many car companies might exist in 20 years. Maybe five, she replied. Maybe zero. Maybe zero. Hard to right. imagine a world without uh, GM, Ford, Toyota and Volkswagen, but that was uh, at least at the time a that was legit the view. At the time, exactly, yeah. and that probably goes back. Say it was around fifteen or sixteen, because I remember in an interview with Dan Ammon, who's no longer at the company, but he was central to a lot of their thinking at the time. They were putting together in their minds way more self-driving cars with Uber and Lyft ride-hailing apps and popularity, and thinking, okay, we can either get in on this or. You know, again, even if even if five or ten percent of the market lost interest in car ownership, that's a big squeeze. And all those vehicles are electric, so they had to get there anyway. Fast forward to today, I don't think anybody really believes that's going to happen. I think there's money in those services. It's not the four trillion dollar business that McKinsey or somebody put out a few years ago. Four trillion, not four billion. And and I just don't see people in our lifetimes, Jamie, and we're old men, I guess. But you know, I don't see people giving up cars for robo taxis. But there's still that threat to our business, particularly from startups like Rivian and certainly from Tesla. Tesla's threatening everybody because the growth just keeps coming. The EV market is such an important emerging part of the industry. Uh, you talk a lot about, of course, the $30,000 Equinox and uh, how important that is in sort of Mark Royce's vision and, and GM's vision of, of where the company is going. Mark Royce, of course, is, as you wrote, has really emerged as Mary Barra's key ally and partner in exactly. transforming the company. And just this month, GM unveiled that electric uh, Equinox on national TV, and they had it on have it on the stand at the Detroit Auto Show right now. What do you think that signifies for GM as it tries to make EVs a little more mass market? And can they make money on those vehicles at the pretty competitive prices they're offering? You know, I, I pushed them really hard on that issue. And they said that at every trim level, they, they want the Equinox to be profitable. So first off, you know, one thing on Equinox, they, they did, frankly, kind of help me out by announcing it truly before the book goes to print, <laughs> because that is something GM is doing that's different, which is, you know, right now, let's look at the, the EV market. These are luxury cars. Even if they don't sell under a luxury brand name, 
you know, a mutual friend of ours just bought an F-150 Lightning. It was $78,000. And I know somebody else who looked at one and it was eighty eight. You know, by degrees in economics, by any economist definition, a $78,000 vehicle, that's luxury. I don't care if you sell it under Ford or Kia or Chevy, it's a luxury vehicle. So what they're trying to do is bring non-luxury buyers who don't have three or four different vehicles in the garage already into the EV market. I think they'll do it. I, I also think a lot of people who have three or four vehicles in the market will still buy an Equinox uh, because they want an EV. So it's not going to purely dem uh, democratize electrification, but it will start. Can they make money on it? Geez, that 30,000, if they stick, if they actually sell that 250 mile range battery version for 30,000, it's very tough to envision that. What I do think is the higher trim level versions of Equinox and the ones that sell with Super Cruise, which, you know, that's thousands of dollars of subscription level business. I think that's where the whole business case starts to look more profitable. The vehicle, a $30,000 EV on its own, that's tough to see as profitable, they tell me they're, you know, that's what they want to do and they say it will be, but you know, there are also rising costs of lithium and other things that make that even more challenging. Excellent so Bloomberg is, story last week about the record high lithium prices. Yeah. Now, you know, lithium and for that matter, cobalt prices fluctuate wildly. So you could see that stuff coming back down, especially as more capacity comes online. You know, and look, the, the big car companies, Ford and GM, have talked about securing contracts to get the quantities they need. And I think they do lock in pricing to a certain degree, but they're not immune to that forever. So that's a challenge to it. Just on top of the fact that, you know, batteries that cost six or eight thousand dollars or more, that's a third of the MSRP for that vehicle. It's tough to see. But if someone buys that car for thirty thousand and they subscribe to Super Cruise and maybe they get a couple other options that pushes up to thirty three. Yeah, Mandatory OnStar for fifteen hundred yeah. at a seventy percent profit margin. That's pretty right. good. But I think the more the greater significance of Equinox is you will see people buy that out the door, thirty six, thirty eight for that bottom trim level, and then you know you got other trim levels into the forties. So you will see much less expensive Equinox EVs than you have compared to what else is on the market right now. Right, right. So before I let you go. How does Mary Barra's story end? Is there a mandatory retirement age? Could she stay to see the transformation through to 2030 or 2035? And is she cultivating successors? So she turned 61 on Christmas Eve of this year. You know, Ford waived the retirement age for Alan Malawi, and he stayed, I think, till 67. If she wanted to, I have no doubt the GM board would do that. I don't think this, that's how this plays out. You know, you got to say at this point, that Mark Royce is the handpicked successor. He's the only one even close, right? She made him president of the company. He oversees product development and a lot of the business. He's overseeing the, the electrification of this. He's on the board of crews. He's got either direct or board level oversight of all the major things they're doing right now. That gives him a lot of training for this. And they trust each other and they're pretty good friends. I could see, I don't know if you remember this, but. When Rick Wagner became CEO, Jack Smith stayed on as non-executive chairman for a couple of years. So does Mary maybe retire, quote unquote, from CEO at 63 or something like that? Stick on as chairman until she's 65 and then hand the company over to Mark while they groom. Mark's a couple of years younger than her, I think, uh, 58 or 59 maybe. So he could have a you know, three to five year run as CEO while he grooms other people. Could the board look outside? Sure, they could always do that. Is there somebody younger in the company there are a few names I can think of, but, but nobody who's so obvious at this point. But 
I don't think Mary sticks around. She's born in 61, so she'd be almost 70 by, this, by the time 2030 comes around. I, look, I point that out in the epilogue of the book. I mean, she's got these goals for doubling revenue, going all electric by 2035. You know, GM needs to stick to these plans if any of that's going to happen be well after she's gone, because I don't think she works that long. Yeah. I, I yeah. wouldn't, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she does. I, I, I think she probably retires at 65 and slowly, if Mark ends up being the guy, mm-hmm. hands things off to Royce between now and then. All right. Well, so much more I'd love to talk with you about, but um, glad to glad to have the book. And thanks for taking the time to join us. David Welch, Detroit Bureau Chief, Bloomberg News. Thanks for joining Daily Drive. Thanks, Jamie. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on electrification, earnings results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation about the role utility companies are playing in meeting consumer expectations for electric vehicles. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.